Hello, everyone, and welcome to Husband and Wife Time, a podcast celebrating Lifetime movies. I'm Matt Caproletti. And I'm Elizabeth Blickle. Happy New Year, Matt. Happy New Year, Liz. We had a very Merry Christmas. I'm currently wearing a brand spanking new Eric Roberts sweatshirt that Matt bought me for Christmas. And I, and this wasn't planned, folks, am wearing a brand spanking new It's a Wonderful Lifetime sweatshirt that Liz purchased for me. So (laughs) clearly we were on the same wavelength. Yes. So our new year is off to a good start and a very uh, branded start to the new year. We're bringing you commitment in 2021. (laughs) Also in honor of January and New Year's resolutions that people might make, tonight we are drinking mocktails. We toyed around with a few options. My celery soda turned out like a disgusting salad in a glass. I was hoping for something approximating Dr. Brown's celery soda for those of you uh, in the New York area, but I realized that that is mainly water and high fructose corn syrup, so that's why I like it. (laughs) And what I delivered, again, was salad in a glass. We also tried a mocktail of Moscow mules, which we were lukewarm about and we found that the real winner is a cucumber gimlet was cucumber it? gimlet yeah. yes she's quite the uh the mocktail mixologist i'll have you know but also in honor of the new year and resolutions that people sometimes make in addition to not drinking i know a lot of people make resolutions about getting in shape so we are bringing to you the 2018 classic blood sweat and lies This is a fun, silly movie. Eminently watchable. Okay, so in Blood, Sweat, and Lies, personal trainer Trey, played by Adam Huber, is obsessed with his client, Melissa, played by the gorgeous Hannah Barefoot. Good old Hannah Barefoot. We've seen her in a couple of films, but in this one, she truly shines. Yes, she's a good actress and beautiful. That's really all I care about in a Lifetime movie. I want to look at your face. I no. I want to want to look at your face. Right. (laughs) And I also want you to be able to pull off the sort of like soapy level of acting required. And additionally, Hannah Barefoot has the requisite commitment to the role. (laughs) She does. I should mention the budget of this movie must be incredibly low because there are only five speaking parts in the entire movie. I don't know if you noticed that, Matt, but there are five characters total. Okay. Yeah, I would have thought, you know, certainly a few more in there. They get straight to the point. Yeah. (laughs) They don't bother with... Something to be said for that. Random mater d's or check-in people. Everyone, there are very few lines. The waiters aren't even introducing the dishes that the people are eating. we're, We're getting right to the point. Speaking of getting right to the point, the opening of the movie is... It's. I'm going to struggle to not call her Hannah Barefoot because that's all I can think of. Hannah Barefoot is a way better name than the name they give her in the movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm... Apologies, everyone, if I just slip into calling... Hannah Barefoot is the main character. Her name is Melissa or Mel. But you may hear me call her Hannah Barefoot repeatedly because I just like her name. That's a good name. Anyways, the opening of the movie is... Mel making dinner for her boyfriend Carter, who's played by Drew Roy... 
Carter has a cute little gag where he pretends that he forgot their fifth anniversary and she falls for it. And then Carter shows her a ring-sized box and it's a piece of the Alps because he says he wants to take her on a climbing trip there. Of course, because every kiss begins with a trip to the Alps, I believe the, uh, <laughs> the, the commercial says. So he says next month or whenever. Yeah. You know, we have no concrete plans. She wanted a different kind of rock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But not even proposing a finite date for a trip, not even a promise rock. Or... It's, it's essentially one of those coupons you give someone for a back massage, except he gave her a trip to the Alps, which we discover is even worse than a coupon for a back massage because... Wouldn't you know, Carter, after five years, your girlfriend hates heights. I'd be pieced off. <laughs> yes! <laughs> That's right, folks. You thought the bad puns ended last time. No, that is a mountain-related pun. I'd be pieced off. I have been waiting to say that joke to Matt's face all week. (laughs) Oh, you thought it ended with Goldie Spawn. Never. You will tune in every two weeks, and I will give you some horrible pun that will make me very happy i'd be incredibly pissed off (laughs) and this one has a winter sports angle love it it. anyways she says she thought he was proposing and he says he's bored and i quote you once blindfolded me and drove to san francisco for dinner and now you are literally making a roast what's so bad about all that i'd like to know a There's, roast sounds yes. delicious. He's com- first of all, he's complaining about someone making him dinner and a very artfully decorated cake. Incorrect way to start an anniversary dinner. But also, if you want spontaneity in your life, stop waiting for an outside source to introduce it into your life. It's as though he expects her to make his life interesting and exciting. I mean, what does he want her to make, if not a roast and this red velvet cake? And and to go back, the L.A. story, or the San Francisco story, excuse me. We believe that this movie takes place in L.A. Mm-hmm. Or outside of L.A. because right. it later says... Is it Gardena? Gardena, or I, I, we don't know how it's pronounced. I'm not from uh, California. Beautiful state, though. Thank you for listening. But he's talking about a six-hour drive. The drive from... San Francisco to LA looks like it's about six hours if you're not taking the scenic route, which I'm assuming she wasn't because he was blindfolded. So the scenic route would have been a little wasted. But I have so many questions about this, which was up for consideration for the title of our podcast. My first follow-up question is, was he blindfolded the entire ride? Would you sit there for six hours blindfolded? I wouldn't sit there six minutes blindfolded. You better present me with something very exciting if you want me to just sit there doing nothing for six minutes. Did they stop at In-N-Out Burger on the way? And and then like she fed him while still blindfolded? That brings me to my other follow-up question. Did he not need to use the restroom right. or eat at all in this six-hour drive? Did they never have to stop for gas? When they stopped for gas, did he just sit there with the car engine not running, not knowing what was happening. It doesn't sound like the best thing to me. So anyways, Hannah Barefoot, Mel, is trying to figure out how they got to this place. And she, for 
reasons I don't fully understand, asks Carter what her favorite color is, I guess to gauge how in love they are and whether or not this breakup is the right thing to do. I mean, this is the second straight week we've dealt with a film that was the color, like favorite color or the eye color. You know, yes. gift wrap Christmas. Uh, Charlie asked Vic- his girlfriend, Victoria, like, what color are my eyes? And, and they were hazel, but yeah. she didn't know that they were hazel. Yeah. And I immediately thought to myself, do I know the color of Matt's eyes? Turns out I do. They're brown. Yeah. It's pretty, you know, pretty definitively at that. But I, I get the sense that this whole, like, what's my favorite color thing, it might as well be like the scene in Monty Python and the Holy Grail where they're, there's a, a guy guarding a bridge. And uh, <laughs> and one of the questions that must be asked to pass through is like, what's my favorite color? And the one guy says blue, no yellow. And then he like falls into the abyss. Ah! So uh, I'm waiting for that to happen in one of these films. But anyway, I digress. He says blue and she's irate. And then the breakup is official. Yeah. And the next thing we see is her crying while eating the red velvet cake. And I sincerely hope that she's crying over the wasted years, not the loss of Carter, because one, he gave her a rock with no concrete plans for when this trip would take place. Two, he was planning an international trip with a woman that he wanted to dump. So clearly he was stringing her along. Three, He doesn't know her favorite color or her big fear, which was heights. Four, he guesses blue because it's the color of her dress, meaning he's unimaginative. And five, he criticizes her for cooking him dinner and baking him a cake. He is trash. (laughs) He's trash. Well, you got one for every year there, huh? Yes. Of their five-year relationship. I mean, I'm sure she should have bigger regrets. Those are just the ones I'm aware of. So next we see her napping on her couch, her coffee table covered in photo albums labeled memories with empty takeout containers and wine glasses littering the coffee table. And her best friend, Leslie, played by Brianna Lane, or Brianna, I'm not sure, comes in and looks at a photo album and is trying to remind her friend of better times. We see a red construction paper heart that says, my Melissa, my Melissa, my Melissa on it. And that's important, so remember that for later. And Leslie says, you know, get up off the couch. It's been a week. I'm taking you to the gym because we discover that Mel was a... A track and field record holder in college. And that is one way of saying that as someone who had a very mediocre college track career. I don't know that that's the phrase one would use, but hey, we'll go with it. (laughs) Also, they act as though she's not been to a gym since college, making lots of quippy remarks about it. But the flaw in that is that based on Hannah Barefoot's arms, Mel has been to a gym quite recently. (laughs) Yeah, she by no means uh, appears to be the out-of-shape, hasn't-seen-a-gym-in-a-decade person that she would have you suggest. Yes. So the gym they go to is called Global Fitness's Power in Progress, which sounds like a cult. 
So Mel is there wandering kind of aimlessly. She seems very nervous, but she's like doing bench presses. And Trey comes over and asks, you doing okay, Mel? And she asks how he knows her name. And he says the guest book. And she accepts that pretty quickly. And, you know, Leslie is just ever so much the fun, quirky, boozy best friend. Because, you know, what do you know? She's finished her workout and she's eating a Twizzler, your classic post-workout snack. Good for her. Yeah, she walks over to Mel holding a handful of Twizzlers, which endeared her to me forever. And Mel tells Leslie that she's signing up for training sessions with Trey. Leslie tells Trey he looks familiar and he says he did a community charity calendar And Leslie whispers to Mel, she's going to Google it later. Wink. (laughs) And says, Mel should date him. But Mel says, it's a professional thing. And the next thing we cut to is Mel at her art gallery, which she owns. And a hot guy, Adam, comes in. Adam's played by Matt Cedeno. This movie is so low budget that they didn't even give him the accent over his name, by the way. They couldn't spring for an Enya? (laughs) No. It was just the end. Flirting, blah. Then we go back to the gym. (laughs) Melissa is at her intro assessment session and... Trey says, oh, well, let's take a before and after photo. You know, I I keep these photos of all my clients, but just they're, they're in a desk, just locked away. No one will see them. She also decides that she wants to do an unassisted muscle up. A muscle up... I was completely unaware is when you do a pull up and then once you've pulled your body up, you keep going until your whole body is a is upright and your arms are down at your sides. It's sort of like the thing you see happen in the Olympics a lot on the rings. Yeah, a pretty impressive move, you know. Um, we've got faith in, in in Melissa. And he recommends for this pose six weeks, which. Keep in mind, she says she's not been to a gym in a long time. She also mentions that she hasn't done a pull-up in 10 years. So we are starting from scratch. And he says six weeks to do this thing, which I believe is one of the harder weightlifting maneuvers to accomplish. I mean, I probably haven't been able to do a pull-up since H.W. Bush was in office. I've never done a pull-up. I've never done a pull-up. If I was Hannah Barefoot in this movie, they would have a box underneath me, like one of those vain male actors in the early half of the 20th century, and I would just be going from squatting to standing. And you would just see that upper part of my body, never the legs. Hey, those boxes are helpful. I mean, that's how they balance out the contestant heights on Jeopardy, so everybody appears to be the same height. Oh, really? Some behind-the-scenes knowledge. Did you require a box? I did not require a box. I stood on the floor. Matt's tall. I mean, not nearly as tall as uh, as Adam uh, <laughs> in this film. Uh, Matt Cedeno appears to be quite the uh, the dashing dashing lad. Yes, everyone in this movie is attractive. I want to want to look at all of these people. So Hannah Barefoot is in the gym doing her workout or whatever, and Trey comes over and says because she's done such a good job. He has something for her. Then he gets down on one knee and gives her a fitness tracker and asks for her phone to set it up. And she actually gives him her phone. And then we see him in his office syncing her fitness tracker to her phone and his phone. And then later we watch him tracking her bedtime, which, I mean, if Carter thought 
Mel was boring. <laughs> Drake is boring. He's watching someone else's bedtime take place. That's uh, that's a that's appointment viewing, I guess, at, uh, at Trey's household. So the next day, Leslie, or sometime later, who cares? Leslie gets a flat and asks. I mean, time time is whatever. It's it's just a construct, and in Lifetime movies, it's sometimes linear and sometimes not. We're not even going to address the times in this movie when it's not linear, and I have serious questions about timing of things because. You have to shut your brain off and just have fun. And we did. Just relax and enjoy the ride and uh, and let's learn to do a muscle up. Stop telling me to relax. (laughs) (laughs) So. (laughs) So stupid. So sometime later, Leslie gets a flat and asks Mel to pick her up. And Leslie thanks Mel for the ride to work by making all the icons on her phone flowers And I don't even know if you can do that. We are not tech savvy at all. The important part of that, though, is that we're setting her up for later as tech savvy. She unfortunately makes Mel late for the gym. And Trey says he's seen this before. When someone makes progress, the people around them start to try to derail them in small ways. Mel is suspicious that Leslie would do that. But honestly, she's wavering a little bit, which is odd because Leslie took her to the gym. Yeah, it was her idea anyway to get her off the couch where she was lying strewn in a sea of cake and photo albums. So the next scene is Adam on a date with Mel and they're discussing why their previous relationships ended. And he says that his ex-girlfriend of three years didn't know him. And Mel says she has him beat. Hers was five years. Yep. And Adam Windsor hard. Yeah, wouldn't you know, this favorite color question comes up. I don't know at what point in our relationship the favorite color question came up, but I I didn't put too much weight onto it. If you told me right now, we've been married for nearly five years, four and a half. If you told me right now, you did not remember my favorite color, I'd be like, eh, whatever. <laughs> There's, there are other things that are more important to remember. Anyways, Adam guesses her favorite color is purple because she's worn a small piece of it every time he's seen her, which is a total of three times. So I guess he's observant, but also that's a pretty big leap. It's an N of three. You've seen her three times. Sure. But the leap was correct. It is purple. And then Trey is watching them from a car across the street and... Then Adam cooks a dinner for Mel at her house. And I'm going to leave the sweet talking to Matt. You can tell that he talks to her. Yeah, I mean, uh, as he's cooking dinner for her, um, you know, he talks about how um, his mother taught him to cook. Uh, and, uh, you know, before she passed away. Um, oh, and by the way, his mom had Mel's sense of style. And then she really, she really takes a shine to that. But, uh, you know, the, the flirtation manual for, uh, for Adam here is, uh, seems like he's uh, gone uh, um, off track, but clearly it's working. It brings us back to a question Matt posed in our episode about a gift wrapped Christmas. Why do all of the parents have to be dead? Why couldn't his mom be alive and have taught him something about cooking and Mel has her style? That's one part of it. For me, the other part is, oh boy. (laughs) 
Anyway, I don't know if it's normal to romance someone by comparing them to your dead parent. Yeah. I don't, I, I would not be charmed by it. Let's say that. But somehow they end up having sex, which Trey finds out about because he gets an alert on his phone for the heart rate increasing on her watch. And of course, you know, it being late in the evening, which, you know, Trey is staying up to monitor, he instantly gets Well, I mean, he saw them from the car, so he knows Yeah. Either they're inside running on a treadmill or <laughs> Which is a classic date activity. It's, or something's uh, happening. Yeah. So then the next morning, boom. Trey is waiting for Mel outside of her house and she asks what he's doing there. And he says, you weren't on time. So I figured you might like a nice walk to the gym this morning. And then she doesn't ask how he knows where she lives or why he didn't call her cell phone first in case she was having car trouble or a million other things that one might ask in that situation. Yeah. She just kind of accepts that like, Oh, here he is at my house, my personal trainer who I've known for, what, a couple weeks? couple weeks? I mean, we're not at full muscle up yet, so yeah, right. it can't be far into the journey. Yeah. So anyways, Mel is at the gym training with Trey, but she's incessantly talking about Adam, which of course makes Trey very upset. So Trey excuses himself and says he's going to go get her a bottle of water. He then goes to his office and throws a fit. He knocks over an office chair, pushes all his papers off the desk, and pops a pill. Seeing the meltdown really allows us to examine his commitment to this role. And we are going to introduce a metric uh, that we'll be coming back to (laughs) in future films. The Eric Roberts Scale of Excellence. So how does Adam Huber, uh, playing Trey, rate uh, on this scale is i guess first let's get into you know what are the components of the eric roberts scale of excellence i think it has to be a little bit silly but not done in a silly way there right. has to be a component of silliness to it but the actor's not making a joke of it i mean yeah I, for me it's just how how epic is the meltdown yeah and and eric roberts I mean, he defines it. Yeah. He may not have invented the meltdown, but he did it best, yeah. folks. He did it best. So those are, I mean, what what is it for you? Yeah. I mean, that is the, you know, the gold standard of uh, commitment to a role and the way in which uh, he, the person inhabits the character and and how they react to to things that don't go their way in a lifetime movie. Yes, the things that don't go their way is an important part of it because it's not it it's not just meltdowns out of the blue. It's always this person has a master plan in place. Something has not gone according to plan. They are dealt a setback and then the meltdown. Yep. So that is an important part of it too. Okay, so now let's introduce the scale itself. Matt, take it away. So I guess, uh, you know, there are, it's a six point scale uh, and it is measured uh, by. Uh, Please refer to figure 1A on our Instagram. You will see it. Yes. Drawn out. So starting with the base level um, is just number one. I'm unfriending you. No, I have to stop here. Matt's doing you a disservice. We all heard how good his acting was in episode one. <laughs> I'm going to need Matt 
to act these out. Okay. There's a reason why you're introducing this scale. Put some Eric Roberts into it. All Get right. that Eric Roberts stank on it. I guess I'll look the <laughs> look at the, the inspiration on your sweatshirt. And so we start with him calling out to his date, uh, driving away into the darkness and into the void, and him saying, "I'm unfriending you." <laughs> And then it proceeds to... So that's level one. Level two, he, when he's uh, rolling around in the trash and uh, he's yelling, I'm a doctor! Three. When he is uh, locked in an argument with, with Sophie, whom he's kidnapped, and he says, why do you hate me? <laughs> Four. When he has purchased a doll for Sophie and... Uh, she refuses it, and he's tearing it limb from limb and says, Nobody cares! <laughs> Five. When he has broken into Sophie's bedroom and is uh, is smelling her American Girl doll clothes, um, which, you know, is... That's, that's You don't really need to say anything more. That's enough. Yeah, that's <laughs> he's the He's smelling American Girl doll clothes. Yes, of course. Six. Number six is when he has kidnapped uh, Sophie and he is about to amputate her. And he is downstairs preparing his instruments and saying, get ready for surgery. <laughs> so, knowing the scale, Matt, where does Trey Huber fall on the Eric Roberts scale of excellence? I mean, you know, he's not quite full Eric Roberts, but... He has a couple of really good good meltdowns in this film. So I, I would say he might be, you know, somewhere in the, uh, the why do you hate me and the nobody cares. Uh, I, 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 you know, I'll say he's at a firm, nobody cares. <laughs> For me, Adam Huber takes the approach of it's a quiet, suppressed, seething rage you see the veins popping in his forehead and his neck i would say he's comfortably in the why do you hate me (laughs) nobody cares range as well okay i don't think he's given as many opportunities for full meltdown sure there's not the context for it he also doesn't have three sequels i would watch another one of these yeah Yeah, I would. They do a decent enough job. Mm -hmm. All right. So then Trey comes back from his freak out in his office and he comes back with the water for Mel and he keeps upping the speed on the treadmill and suddenly her vision is blurred and Matt was a runner in high school and college. So we're going to need to address the running sequence for just a moment. Yeah. So you see the camera going back and forth between her upper body and her legs. Yes. And the leg shots, so you can see this treadmill speed getting progressively faster. Um, But the upper body shots, the arm carry is quite small in relation to how fast her legs are going. Okay, so for non-runners, I'm going to break that down, what that means. Her leg stride is extremely long. She's running at a full tilt on the bottom. And then her upper body is just like gently moving, you know, like you would if you were in New York and the light was about to change and you jog walked to the edge of the crosswalk. A shuffle. 
perhaps. Yes. <laughs> There's not the same urgency up top as there is down below. So then she proceeds to faint on the treadmill. That's dangerous. This is a dangerous game Trey's playing. It is dangerous. She wakes up from being unconscious to him saying, hello, beautiful. (laughs) And he says he will never let anything happen to her, which he just did. It's so dangerous to let someone faint on a treadmill. But he says this while touching her shoulder and running his thumb back and forth across her shoulder, like close to her clavicle. I mean, it's not even like, it's not like a seventh grade math teacher pat on the shoulder. Like you'll get them next time, kid. It's like way too close to being like a women's annual exam. Yeah, it's an an intimate athletic trainer touch for sure. (laughs) Yes. And for some reason, she's never creeped out by him saying things like, that's my girl, or hello, beautiful, when she woke up in a different room. Oh, we should mention she's in a different room. Yeah. She passed out on the treadmill, and now she's in another room. She wakes up to some guy alone in the room, door closed. He says, hello, beautiful, and she is not immediately screaming. I don't know that she has the best judgment. (laughs) Maybe that's why she ended up with this Carter character for five years. This is not a woman (laughs) who who knows what's good for her. Anyways, then we cut to her sassy, snazzy friend, Leslie, and they are having drinks by the pool. And if Matt was taking over the conversation about running... (laughs) I now have to take over the conversation about swimsuits. Matt would never say anything about a woman's swimsuit. He's way too gentlemanly. But I must. Both Leslie and Mel have amazing bodies. These actresses are very pretty. They're fit. I think they're probably both in their mid or early 30s. And this may not be the best thing for me to feel, but I am mad that they are both wearing one pieces in this scene while they're sitting by the pool drinking martinis. I find it odd, first of all, because Mel is in a sports bra for most of the movie without a top on. So it's like, why would she be wearing a one piece if she's constantly wearing Yeah, she's not exactly working out in a hefty sack. She's wearing normal fitness wear. Yes. But the thing that I found most upsetting is that Leslie is forced to wear a black crew neck bathing suit with an illusion neckline, which is definitely something women wear when they're like 61 and worried about crepey skin on their décolletage. (laughs) It is not something you wear in your mid-30s in this century when you have a great body, you are allowed to be a modest dresser in your 30s. I'm not I'm not saying you have to wear bikinis or you have to show off your body, but that bathing suit is not glamorous. It's just boring. So boring that it's about to get dumped by its boyfriend of five years. (laughs) Would that bathing suit be literally making a roast? It's making a roast and a red velvet cake. It's not driving you to San Francisco blindfolded. Okay. <laughs> At least we know where we stand with swimwear. I'm not I'm not knocking a glamorous black bathing suit, but I'm saying the bathing suit was not glamorous, and I want to see young hot people in hot clothes. I want these women look great. Go to like Target and find I there are glamorous bathing suits at Target. Find them a nice one piece from Target. I'm saying both of them were wearing 
It's a Lifetime movie title. The Wrong Bathing Suit. Yeah, right. <laughs> Anyways, Leslie asks how it's going with Adam. Mel says he hasn't called in a while. And Leslie says Mel has always been clueless about her admirers. In college, she had the entire track team on lockdown because of her legs. And I assume she means they were impressed by her talent and not her physique. <laughs> And the art geeks, and the weird, shy, big guy who left her construction paper hearts like every day, but Mel doesn't remember him or his name, which I found very strange. Yeah. To not remember someone leaving you notes every single day seems bizarre to me. Also in with construction paper? I mean, what, what college student has access to a steady stream of construction paper? But we'll get into that later. So... They get into a fight because Mel says that Leslie is actually just trying to derail her fitness goals. Exactly like Trey predicted. And then the next day at the gym, Trey gets Mel to distance herself to do a 24-hour detox from Leslie. And he gets her to do it pretty quickly for two women who've been friends since college. And then suddenly he's teaching Mel self-defense. And he basically orchestrates it so he's got her in a headlock and they're almost kissing. And this may be the moment that Mel starts to have misgivings about her relationship with Trey because in the next scene, Mel then tells Trey she thinks she needs time away from the gym. At which point Trey replies, well, why don't we at least do a last weigh-in? And lo and behold, Mel has gained a pound. To which I say, gee, who wouldn't want to date this gem of a man who monitors your weight down to the pound? Every woman loves that kind of rigid supervision at home, in addition to the constant supervision that the world will place you under just for being a woman. And then he scolds her for not taking her supplements, which she didn't take for a single day. And he behaves as if they are insulin, like they are keeping her alive yeah. instead of being turmeric or whatever he's given her <laughs> matcha in one scene he yeah. gives her as if that's going to save your life and mel logically says it's a pound to which trey says it's a shortcoming <laughs> and he won't let her out of the office he says she's so close to perfect and my question about that is if she's not perfect why are you so obsessed with her but then he says interrupting your progress at this point could be very dangerous like falling off a treadmill dangerous <laughs> because that happened on your watch. Yeah. So she finally gets herself out of the office and she goes to her art gallery and it is completely trashed. Yeah. And she calls Leslie and tells her she needs her. And she comes because Leslie is a good friend. They've been friends since college. Friend. She is there to pick her up when she falls. And she is here in this instance to help her out when her business is trashed. So then we go back to Mel's house and Carter, her ex-boyfriend, stops by to get his last box of stuff. He tells Mel to tell her new boyfriend to stop sending him the vile texts. And Leslie is apparently a tech genius because she pulls up the texts immediately. And they say, my Melissa, like a million times. Which doesn't seem vile to me. It seems like a nuisance. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting like stalking texts i guess um 
to, to have that over and over again on repeat. Then Leslie's going to do recon to see if it's Trey who's sending all these texts because they've run through the list of people who could have access to Mel's phone. And we should mention now, Mel turns over her phone to Trey an alarming number of times in yeah. this movie. She hands it to him and walks out of the room on multiple occasions. So they go, all of which is to say, Leslie goes to do recon to see if it's Trey. And Mel can't come because she has to clean up the gallery and get it ready for the opening that night to clear away all the vandalism. Right. So then we cut to... Trey then standing in a dark room uh, in front of his mirror. And we hear some taunting voices saying, Lunch, Trey, lunch, Trey, lunch, Trey. And he's and I'm just laughing at him. Well, he holds up a bigger white t-shirt, but it's just like a couple of sizes bigger. And this guy's pretty jacked, so maybe an extra large. And I guess, which leads us to believe he was relentlessly bullied in the U.S. uh, for being an extra large. You know, this is hardly like Jared from Subway in the huge pants. The shirt was just a slightly larger shirt. It wasn't demonstrably larger yeah. than his body. I mean, Trey's probably younger than I am, but like it could be a shirt that one might have had just hanging around because it was the 90s. And, sure. uh, uh, you know, and, and we, we bought baggier clothes back then. Yes. So I watched this movie a second time. It was good enough that I watched it a second time. And I watched it without Matt. Um, sorry, Matt. <laughs> but I did watch part of it with, uh, this is a favorite thing of mine to do. I watched it with the closed captioning on. What was interesting was when I watched it with the closed captioning on, I had seen this before and I had heard the lunch tray, lunch tray, and the giggling at his expense. But there were all these other layered voices that you can kind of faintly hear, but you can't hear what they're saying. And the CC actually gives you what they're saying. So all of the other things they were saying included... Have you ever considered exercise? (laughs) Whole lot of fat. (laughs) You sure eat a lot. 1-800-LOSE-WEIGHT. And you make a person look like a handicap. What does that even mean? I don't know. I have been racking my brain to try and figure out. I feel like they're maybe the... the, The closed captioning didn't capture all the words in that sentence. Maybe they meant you make being a person look like a handicap. That's just or confusing. You make a person. I, I yeah, I can't. I'm I'm like struggling now to try and find what they could have meant. But it feels like there are words missing from that collection of words. Like they just picked up random words. Very mean. And this this introduces the subplot that Trey was bullied for his weight. It's not a huge subplot, but it's very sad. Yeah. We don't encourage bullying at all. No. It makes you really feel sorry for for Trey's character, that he went through this much of his life, and he worked hard to overcome it, and you know, now he's this Adonis. Now he has... With some major anger issues. No. Well, yes. Uh, not no. Yes, he for sure has anger issues. The additional thing he has is definitely body dysmorphia combined with an eating disorder. If you are that concerned about someone gaining one pound, you are holding the reins white knuckle tight. And that kind of thing to me speaks to disordered eating. Sure. Which is sad. 
This is all very sad. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, but moving on, then he pulls an Eric Robertsy kind of meltdown and he screams and screams into a mirror with veins all over his face, bulging, and he rips the shirt in half. He goes full Hulk Hogan on that shirt. (laughs) He does. So then at some point, Trey leaves his office at the gym and... Leslie arrives to do recon and being this sassy, bubbly, fun friend, she's talking to herself the entire time, which is just not stealth at all. And also, if we're looking for evidence that he hacked into your friend's phone or is tracking her via phone, are you hoping to find a paper trail? What are we hoping to find in his office? I don't know. What I do know is the fact that he has a protein collection that looks like a bottle of top shelf liquor. Uh, I mean, the way things things are backlit is amazing, but um, I I don't want to go down that. Matt said it reminded him of an episode of Bar Rescue where they would backlight all of the fancy liquor bottles to get people to buy them. Most definitely. (laughs) So what she actually does find is a photo album in his desk with all the before and afters, including Mel, but also including Trey from his earlier days and Trey now. And that's how Leslie figures out that he's, quote, lunch Trey, who they all knew in college. And as soon as she figures this out, Trey strangles her from behind. Then Mel, using her sophisticated tech maneuvers that Leslie wrote down for her on, like, a post-it note or something. She called it, I believe it was a backdoor IP assault. Sure. Um, Realizes that- Backdoor is a thing. If you Google backdoor IP assault, it does nothing comes up, but- I can't believe you Googled that. Of course. (laughs) So she realizes he's been monitoring her through the watch and she takes it off. Trey sees that she's cut the connection, but somehow he still gets an alert that she's supposed to meet Adam at the gallery. Adam goes to the gallery to see Melissa, but she's not there and it's abandoned. But he sees my Mel written on the wall in red paint just before Trey hits him over the head. And... Mel then goes to the gym to look for Leslie, finds her locked in a locker. Mel's able to pick the lock and get it open. But then we see that Adam is tied up to the boxing ring with jump ropes. And Trey appears and says, you forgot this, holds out the watch. And he reveals that he was her secret admirer in college. And he says that they were in love, but they couldn't be together because she was her. And things weren't perfect. And we're meant to assume that he's talking about his body, that his body wasn't perfect. But now things are perfect. Right. Although she gained that pound, Trey. Yeah. Things aren't perfect. Shortcoming. She gained that shortcoming. (laughs) So he goes in for a kiss. She kicks him and runs away. And then she does the muscle up to get to a hiding place high up. And it's amazing. (laughs) It is. She's like a Cirque du Soleil performer in, in that scene. Yes. Trey's looking for her, but of course the place is, like, completely dark. So he can't find her, even though she's just four feet above him. Right. And she jumps down like Catwoman and uses the chokehold he taught her on him and says, Fall for me now. I also don't think this guy would go down so easily because he taught her that self-defense move. So wouldn't he know the counter maneuver? You would think. But Trey isn't out. He then holds her down and she hits him with a hand weight. I mean, you know, nothing like a, a dumbbell to the, to the head to, to, to really uh, knock him back. Yes. But the police show up, or we assume they show up, because we see red and 
blue lights flashing in the gym area. But this movie is so low budget that they couldn't even hire non-speaking people to just come in wearing cop uniforms and pretend to cuff him. So then we cut to the gallery. It's all cleaned up. And we find out that Trey got five years. The gallery is reopening. Adam brings... Purple flowers, wouldn't you know? Purple flowers. And Melissa's mail, which has a letter from Trey that is just a red construction paper heart that says, My Melissa. Which, no. That is not how the criminal justice system works. You are not allowed to send mail to your victim. Your mail is screened. The Postal Service also doesn't just deliver red hearts to Melissa because you write my Melissa on a heart. Which (laughs) Melissa? Melissa Etheridge? Melissa McCarthy? Melissa Missy Elliott? (laughs) Melissa Gorga? Melissa Harris Perry? Who are we writing, Trey? The USPS is overstrapped enough. Address your stalker letter properly. (laughs) And then we cut to Trey humming to himself in a very dark cell surrounded by pink and white and red construction paper hearts that he tears by hand. Also, he tears by hand really cleanly and nicely. So he should have an Etsy shop from prison. I mean, in this prison world where you can send mail with not address to your victim, he should also have an Etsy shop. And in this prison where there apparently is a Michael somewhere in the basement, (laughs) because where where is this endless supply of construction paper coming from? The commissary sells cigarettes, cup of noodles, and a ton of construction paper (laughs) because... Arts and crafts are huge in prison. Not paper, lined paper to send letters to your friends and family, but construction paper for your arts and crafts needs. (laughs) So that's it. I mean, it ends with him humming to himself, surrounded by hearts. And it's great. And what an ending it is. What an ending it is. So, as you... No or don't know. Who cares? Uh, every week we <laughs> do a little bit of trivia. and Nobody cares. Nobody cares. And this week it fell to me. And I am mad at Matt for making me do the trivia this week because we do not have an Eric Roberts. We do not have a Meredith Hagner in this movie. Trivia was pretty scarce. So we are expanding the definition of trivia for this. Because if I am to keep it to the, and let me remind you, five actors in this movie, I will be giving you trivia like this. Did you know that Hannah Barefoot was born on January 1st? No, but that's... (laughs) Fantastic. It's very topical. Did you know that she's from Cody, Wyoming? I did not. Did you know that she is part of an indie folk rock duo called The Luminous Grey with her husband, Andy Barefoot? Ah, so Barefoot is her married name. Yes, it's her married name. Wow. Did you know that she modeled for a Starbucks print ad and an ebook for a collection by Knitpicks, that's with a K, which I think is a knitting store or website? <laughs> that sounds incredible. Okay, moving on. Adam Huber, lunch tray himself. He is on the new Dynasty. Really? Yes. Okay, moving on. Did you know that Matt Cedeno was on Devious Maids, Power, and 983 episodes of Days of Our Lives? Wow. Okay. That's incredible. Speaking of soaps, sparkly best friend Brianna Lane was on 40 episodes of General Hospital. I am to assume in none of those did she get to eat a Twizzler at a gym 
or possess the traits of an NSA-level hacker? Probably not. I also believe 40 episodes constitutes, like, a week and a half of work on soaps. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> this one you might like. Did you know that she was in Beverly Hills Chihuahua 3? Well, I didn't know there was v- a Beverly Hills Chihuahua Viva 3. La Fiesta. Oh! She also is in bands like Hannah Barefoot. She's in a band called Winslow and another called Cadeau. Also, Brianna Lane is unfortunately named, and her name, when you Google her, turns up a ton of home listings. Okay. Like 40 Brianna Lane, oh, 21 yes, Brianna yes. Lane. <laughs> okay. Drew Roy Carter. Did you know that he was on five episodes of Hannah Montana? No. Why would you? You're an adult. You were an adult when that show was on. It would have been totally creepy if you knew he was on Hannah Montana. I was. Never seen an episode. Okay, if you were to guess, who do you think he played in The Murder of Nicole Simpson-Brown, starring Mina Suvari as Nicole and Taryn Manning as Faye Resnick? Uh, Kato Kalin. No. Um, Robert Kardashian? No. Mm, Alan Dershowitz. Ron Goldman. Oh, okay. Okay, moving on to the director... Lane Schefter Bishop. Did you know that Lane produced The Deaf? No. Most importantly, she wrote and is directing a movie called Mommune that I genuinely cannot wait to watch. That is a portmanteau of mom and And commune. commune. I am... Splendid. I can't even put into words how excited I am. Okay. (laughs) Now is where we expand beyond all of that boring nonsense because no offense to these people, but they're not doing like 925 movies like Eric Roberts and they're not married to Hollywood royalty son like Meredith (laughs) Hagner. (laughs) So the Fitbit, you know how in the movie Trey tracks her using the Fitbit and finds out that she's having sex by the elevated heart rate. Right. That actually happened in real life. In December 2019, you might actually know this because you're a sports fan, NFL Network reporter Jane Slater tweeted, an ex-boyfriend once got me a Fitbit for Christmas. I loved it. We synced up, motivated each other, dot, dot, dot. Didn't hate it until he was unaccounted for at 4 a.m. and his physical activity levels were spiking on the app. Wish the story wasn't real. Spoiler alert, he was not enrolled in an Orange Theory class at 4 a.m. <laughs> I also learned that Fitbit previously offered sexual activity tracking until 2011 when data on the sexual activity of some of its users accidentally became publicly accessible on the internet. Oh, jeez. Soon after they discontinued that tracking. Yeah. Here's another bit of trivia for you. Speaking of fifth anniversaries now granted in the movie they're just dating for five years but our fifth anniversary is coming up do you know what the traditional gift is i was actually just thinking about this earlier today how i should be planning my present yeah (laughs) um well fruit and flowers was four um leather was three uh what is it traditional wood okay modern is silverware Do not give me silverware. (laughs) (laughs) Duly noted. So in honor of the mocktails that we drank, I'm going to give Matt some trivia about 
the Moscow Mule. <laughs> I told you we had to expand the trivia. Hannah Barefoot was not giving me enough. Nitpick is not exactly captivating. So apparently, the Moscow Mule was developed in the 1930s when a Russian expat named Rudolf Kunet was making about 20 cases of vodka a day in Bethel, Connecticut, <laughs> and was not making rent. In 39, he was nearly broke and sold Smirnoff to John Martin. John Martin long claimed he invented the Moscow Mule with his friend Jack Morgan, who owned an English-style pub on the Sunset Strip called the Cock and Bull, mm-hmm. which had a house brand of ginger beer. However... The bartender for that bar, Wes Price, said the drink was created sometime in 1941. He said Martin had imposed a shipment of Smirnoff on the cock and bull, and the cases sat in the cellar next to the dusty jugs of ginger beer. The bartender claimed, quote, I just wanted to clean out the basement. I was trying to get rid of a lot of dead stock, end quote. And he served the first one to actor Broderick Crawford, who played... What do you think? Who did he play? Was he in Gone with the Wind? No. He played Willie Stark in All the King's Men. Oh. And then it caught on like wildfire. In 1948, Clementine Paddleford, which is an amazing <laughs> name. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> that might even be better than Hannah Barefoot. Yeah. Clementine Paddleford. She was the New York Herald Tribune's food writer, said the drink kicked its way into town. And, quote, The nicest thing about the mule is that it doesn't make you noisy and argumentative or quiet and sullen, but congenial and in love with the world. One (laughs) wag of its tail and life grows rosy. (laughs) So that's the Moscow mule, but we actually like the gimlet better. So I am going to tell you about the gimlet, which also has a tall tale about its origin. Because honestly, I don't know that I buy any of these stories about how these things were invented. But the gimlet's tale is... That British Royal Navy surgeon, Rear Admiral Sir Thomas Desmond Gimlet Hmm. was the namesake and that he administered gin with lime juice as anti-scurvy medication to officers. Excellent. Sailors received rum with lime, which became known as grog, and they consumed so much of the quote-unquote medication that they soon became known as limeys. Ah. But... Gimlet's obituary doesn't mention any of this, Hmm. so it's questionable. The other story is that the drink was named after the gimlet, which is a hand tool that's used to bore into barrels of spirits on Navy ships, which seems a little bit more likely to me. Right. And that is the trivia I came up with. Well, that's a healthy dose. I applaud your investigative efforts for uh, tracking down all that information, hon. Yeah, I mean, I really had to scrape the bottom of the barrel. But not the... uh... But not bore into it with a gimlet. Yes, exactly. (laughs) All right. Should we wrap it up? I think so. Okay. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at husbandandwifetime at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at husbandandwifetime. If you like this episode, please rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks. Bye. Bye.